Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteous. You're listening to Q&A with Bishop Julian. Uh, welcome, Bishop Julian. Thank you very much, Adrian. And uh, in the last episode, and, and by the way, if you want to listen to the last episode, go to our website, cradio.org.au. We talked a bit about titles and the levels of office in in the church, uh, talking about priests, monsignors, bishops, cardinals, and and their terms and the terms of address and how that comes about and why they're called that. Now, something that uh, I thought about over that time was the the different symbols that uh, that the the bishop wears, because as opposed to an ordinary priest during mass, you know there there's the uh, the mitre and crozier and and perhaps i'll get you to explain that and there's there's also the ring and and the process of when people used to kiss the ring as well um what these symbols of the office uh tell us a little bit about them certainly um i i think when a bishop comes to celebrate the mass um he's immediately identifiable as a bishop by virtue of, uh, of the two things you mentioned, the zacchetto, the, the mitre, uh, and, and then, then the crozier. Um, the crozier, maybe we could talk about that initially. The, the crozier, the, the, the stick that uh, the bishop carries, it's, um, it's, it's basically seen as a part, it's often used, called a pastoral staff these days, and it's basically in the shape of a shepherd's staff, and it uh, symbolizes the role of the, of the um, Bishop as a shepherd of a diocese. Um, I often like to ask the children, well, why does a shepherd's staff have the, the curly bit at the top? And I explain to the children, this is just simply because um, in the time of Christ, a shepherd would have that hook at the end so that if a sheep gets into trouble, falls down a hole, gets stuck in the mud or caught in thorns or something like that, the bishop can, uh, the, sorry, the shepherd can pull the sheep out of trouble. And it reminds us that one of the roles of a pastor is to, to help people, and if they're in trouble, he's there to help. So reminds us that the pastoral role in the church is essentially a, a role of service, a role of assistance to people. And so carrying the staff uh, reminds us of that orientation to the mission and role of a bishop in a diocese. Okay, so the thing that kind of looks like, well... <laughs> Uh, a bit like a some people say a pointy party hat sometimes <laughs> that that's called the mitre uh what what's the symbolism behind the mitre you see very ancient pictures of of bishops as they sat on their thrones um with the mitre on what, 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 what explain the mitre the mitre is a very distinctive um like headdress that a, that a bishop wears. It is quite ancient in the church and certainly when you look at medieval paintings and, and so on, you'll see um, bishops depicted as having uh, mitres. So it it's, has become traditionally the headdress of, uh, of a bishop. It's, um, its origins I'm, I'm not 100% sure about, but it, it is just like anything, like a... Uh, a crown for a king or 
or mural chain or different um, symbols of office that people have uh, have utilised over time. It's just the one that now, and it's quite distinctive, of course, it's the one that is used for, for bishops. And the skull cap, which is called the Zacchetto, um, what's... Uh, behind that because even in times go, gone past uh, priests ha- used to wear zacchettos didn't they as well the zacchetto is not an uncommon um, item of clothing obviously the first thing we see is uh, Jewish people um, orthodox Jews will often wear a small skull cap on their heads and so it's quite uh, quite an ancient um a piece of, uh, of, of, of clothing, uh, and it's not traditionally too restricted only to, uh, to bishops. Uh, you'll even see occasionally priests from some religious orders perhaps, or just from their own particular practices, wearing, say, a black uh, skull cap. So the skull cap in itself is not something uh, particular to, uh, to bishops. However, the colours are significant. Um, the, the, a bishop will wear a purple skull cap or zacchetto. A cardinal, of course, red. And we often talk about the cardinal getting the red hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, in a way, what he would wear is the red zacchetto. And, of course, the pope has a white uh, zacchetto. So, so uh, the, the colours are important uh, for the, the use of the zacchetto. Maybe some a piece of... Um, trivia perhaps about the wearing of the uh, zacchetto but something I've come to very much appreciate you'll see that uh, there are times when um, the bishop will remove his zacchetto now the time he removes it is just as he is about to enter the Eucharistic prayer just before that initial dialogue with the people as we go into the Eucharistic prayer he will place the zacchetto back on his head after Holy Communion Now, the whole purpose of that is it's a sign of respect for the presence of Christ. Just like somebody, the old practice of doffing a hat uh, as a sign of respect. So a um, bishop removes his zacchetto in the presence of the Lord. So from the beginning of the Eucharistic prayer to the end of of Holy Communion. And isn't it also to do with the universal priesthood as well? regardless if you're a bishop, a pope, a cardinal, that they're still, when approaching the altar and doing the consecration, you're all priests. Is, is there any of that in it? Or? Well, that's certainly true. Mm. Um, in one sense, at that moment, uh, the bishop is not any different than any of the priests who may be celebrating with him at the Mass. Mm. And, of course... The act of celebrating Mass is essentially the priestly act, and so certainly he's exercising his priestly ministry in a particular way uh, in that celebration of Mass. Um, But clearly, and and the other time, of course, a priest, uh, sorry, a bishop wouldn't wear a zacchetto is during times of adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, or if the bishop is, for instance, in a Eucharistic procession. So again, because the Lord is present, uh, the bishop does not wear his zacchetto. You're listening to Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteous. Send in your questions to 2 So let's get into your questions. Josephine from Melbourne's on the line. Hello, uh, my name is Josephine from Melbourne. Uh, 
I just have a question to the bishop um, in regards to the church's now relationship with the High Anglicans, um, just with the whole movement, you know, Anglicans wanting to come into the church. I'm just wondering, like, if I go to a High Anglican service, like for a wedding or anything like that, am I able to receive communion? Because I thought, like, they sort of believed in the real presence or something. And also, am I allowed to go to confession? Because my friend goes to a church there and she says they have confession. So I was just wondering, like, is that allowed? Also, what about to do with, like, an Orthodox church? Am I allowed to go to confession or communion in, like, a Greek Orthodox church? What are the real differences? Well, she seems quite keen to go to a different church, <laughs> doesn't she? <laughs> she certainly does. But, of course, these things uh, crop up. People yeah. uh, go to a wedding or um, or they have friends that invite them along to a particular ceremony. Uh, so, Joseph, you know, I, I can understand that these situations can crop up from time to time. And particularly when it comes to Holy Communion, there's just that uncertainty. Can, can I receive Holy Communion or can't I? Maybe the important place to begin is is with what you were saying at the beginning. You were talking about the High Anglicans. Now, the High Anglicans are, are often Anglicans who, in one sense, can seem very similar to ourselves. Their churches look the same. Very High Anglicans will, will have um, liturgical practices, will have uh, devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary, have a whole range of things, will have confession, have benediction. And often you could go there and think, well, they're all they're Catholic in all but name. But in fact, they still are high Anglicans. They're not members of the Catholic Church. Perhaps it's important to make the clarification between the high Anglicans and those who are now are interested in joining the Catholic Church and becoming part of the Anglican ordinariate. So that's an important distinction to make. Now, the ordinariates may well be established next year, 2011, but uh, they're not in existence at the present moment. The ordinariate will be the case of Anglicans who formally become members of the Catholic Church will place themselves under a bishop who is in full communion with the Catholic Church. Now, initially, the bishops will be, in fact, uh, Latin Rite or Roman Catholic bishops who will be asked to oversee the ordinariate. In due course, there may be people who come through the Anglican Church who become bishops, but initially the bishops will be uh, Roman Catholic bishops. In that case, they are similar to other uh, rites in the Catholic Church, like the, the Maronites or the, uh, or the Melkites, um, the Armenian Catholics and so on, um, who, who are formally part of the Catholic Church, but they've uh, preserve their own traditions and they have their own bishops. They are Catholics. So we can go to their their, um, their masses, we can receive Holy Communion, um, and that's completely appropriate. But the High Anglicans are not in communion with the Catholic Church, and therefore we don't receive Holy Communion at a High Anglican Mass. So if, if those High Anglicans end up joining the ordinariate, then that would be a different matter altogether. Um, then if uh, we probably could, but until such stage as they have, then 
they can't do that. That's correct. So just at the present moment, you could probably quite simply say that it's not appropriate to receive Holy Communion in an Anglican church. Now, that may well change in the next year or two, um, and you may find that there is, in your area, for instance, an Anglican uh, parish that is part of the ordinariate, and they will have their own uh, liturgy, which will be very similar, of course, to the Catholic liturgy, but will have some particular Anglican uh, aspects to it. So the church has said you're able to preserve your own spiritual patrimony, uh, the hymns you sing, the certain ways you do some things will be able to be preserved as members of the Catholic Church. So we could go along as a, as a, a Latin Rite Catholic, a Roman Catholic, to an Anglican uh, Catholic Church and see things that look much the same, but we can say they are fully part of the Catholic Church now. And that, in some ways, that's that's quite exciting that um, there may be this whole group, or that there are this group of people who are interested in coming into the Catholic faith and, and in a sense, like the other ones that have joined, uh, become part of it, just to enhance the entire flavour of the Catholic Church. I think... Um that uh, the Anglicans who do join us will, will, will bring their own particular contribution because there has been in Anglicanism some very rich spiritual movements and um, some beautiful hymns. In fact, a lot of hymns that we sing uh, in our liturgy um, have origins in uh, Anglicanism. And so this will help enrich um, the, the tapestry, if you like, of the church. Thanks for your call. Uh, we have another question. Hi, I'm calling uh, about the Catholic Q&A uh, interview. Uh, I just have a question. Uh, my name's Teresa. I'm from Darwin. And um, I just have a question about um, priests. Um, I just want to know if maybe if priests were allowed to marry, do you think the rate of priests being pedophiles would maybe lower? Um, if you could answer that for me, that would be great. Thanks. It's a very sensitive topic at the moment and, and probably in some ways um, one that certainly isn't the easiest to answer. But um, what is, what, how would you respond to that? Uh, Teresa, it's a question I'm sure that uh, many, many Catholics have been asked and, and maybe wonder about. Uh, many people attribute uh, the, the church's uh, requirement for celibacy as uh, being a cause of pedophilia. Uh, there's no real link between um, the two. Uh, the, uh, very sadly in our society, the rates of pedophilia are, are, are among married people as much as among those who are not married. Um, unfortunately, because the priest by nature is in a position of, of uh, uh, responsibility, he um, has higher expectations of his, of his performance and his life. Um, and, and so when priests fail in this area, it receives very particular attention in the media. And what a priest has done is, is not just uh, his own failure, but it's also he's also offended the uh, the great trust that people have in the priesthood, 
and that's one of the great sadnesses about um, the failures of priests in this in this area uh, where there have been cases of, of sexual abuse but we can't say and, and there's no evidence to show that uh, there would be a change because it's not to do with celibacy as such it's to do with uh, a personality um, particular issues that people may be going through in their lives so we can't say that if we allowed priests to marry that pedophilia would would drop uh, it's, it's just not the case and unfortunately most of the cases of pedophilia that are recorded in the media have to do with the priesthood so it gives them an imbalance uh, an imbalanced perception of the reality and and I guess in some ways as as uh, as has been said you know the, I guess there's a, a greater level of trust expected from from priests and and when when that has been violated in the past it it, it rightly gets people it rightly gets people angry and uh, and so you know it, it's it's one of those issues where you know it has to be addressed and, and you just look at the way Pope Benedict has has really made it a key point um, uh, of his papacy to really address this this issue yes the church now is is very seriously uh, responding to these uh, this, this issue uh, certainly here in Australia we've um, put a number of policies in place there is a, a stronger scrutiny of, of, of the life of priests and we've done all we can to um, to ensure that if there's any priest who's failing this area that we very quickly would remove them from ministry and uh, and seek to um, to to address the questions with regard to the individual so the church is really strongly committed to, to do all that it can to protect children from uh, any uh, exposure to things that could be very harmful and damaging to them Thank you for your question. And uh, that wraps it up for this edition of Q&A with Bishop Julian. If you want to know more or listen to past episodes of Q&A, go to our website, cradio.org.au, and you'll also find out there how to exactly ask a question. Uh, we've got the phone numbers there, the email addresses, and uh, you, you can find it all there on the website.